Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. You're listening to episode 30 of Star Wars Bookworms, your source for discussion and reviews of the new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics, DK Publishing, Del Rey Books, <gasps> Breathe, and soon to be Marvel and Disney Publishing. I'm your host, Teresa Delgado, and I'm joined here by my co host, Aaron Goins. Hey, buddy. Hey, Teresa. <laughs> How's it How going? are you? There's so much to say in that intro now, I'm kind of just waiting for one thing to fall off. Well, Dark Horse Comics pretty soon, um, and the rest I think are sticking around for a while. I know, maybe we should like figure out a really cool way to say all that. Anyway, we are still on con high, I think. What do you think? I think I may have come off of it by now. Oh no, are we into to post-con blues? Yeah, I think I'm in the, that crash zone right now where it was like the high and then all of a sudden, oh, it doesn't happen for another year. But then we have New York Comic Con coming up, so, you know, there's that to look forward to. But Right, and um, I'm a lucky recipient of con crud. Oh, yes. Um, so, yay me. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, we just got back um, this past weekend from going to Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia. And we had a really good time getting to be there representing Star Wars fandom at a convention that is really put on by the fans, all about the fans. It's pretty much a fan-run convention, and it's pretty awesome. I mean, I know you've been before, but this was my first time, and it was so cool. It was. And last year, you're right, it was my first time. I was a noob. I had no idea what was going on. I literally felt lost the entire time in a crowd and was following the people that I was with like a little puppy dog because I was afraid if I if I lost them that I would not come back alive. So this <laughs> That's so funny because my first experience is kind of different. You're much more adventurous than me apparently. But yeah, Dragon Con, first time around, I loved it, but it was intimidating. Second time, this past time that we just went, was much better. I just had a much better idea of the lay of the land. I wasn't as nervous about, you know, the giant crowds and getting crushed in skywalks and all that stuff. And I had a great experience. Um, it was it was an awesome time. So we just kind of wanted to give a little bit of a maybe mini recap of Dragon Con here. But um, kind of the purpose of this episode and the next one is because we got to moderate two panels at Dragon Con. And we are going to have, we're going to play the audio for you. And that will be the bulk of the episode. So you'll get to hear us moderating a panel. And these panels have some awesome authors of Star Wars books and stuff. So it was really cool for us to get to do that. It was a surreal experience for me. And I know Aaron was fanboy flailing um, for <laughs> getting to be on stage with all of the authors. So um, I don't know. Why don't we just maybe ask each other a couple of questions to kind of recap? Yeah. So first day, day one was Friday. And we we did get to go down as press, which was really cool. Yeah, I mean so, that's a that's a huge thing to get to do at Dragon Con because they are have very strict press rules. So we went with the Star Wars report, and we're very fortunate to have that to be able to do that kind of thing. And um, you know, I mean, I know like our badges said press on them and stuff like that, but I kind of feel like 
even though it said press, we were still sort of on the same level as everybody, which I liked. Like, I didn't really feel like I was super more important or anything. No, not at all. It's not like we were wearing, like, suits or anything or carrying around briefcases. I mean, everybody <laughs> down there is just fans. Press, you know, even the you know, celebrities that are there, really, like, when you get to meet them and stuff, you really, it's all just one big community of fans. And, but it was kind of cool to have that little ribbon. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. You know, the... The, the way the badges work down there, they if you're pressed, they, they let you like stick this little pink ribbon on the back of your badge that's kind of flying around that says press. It doesn't necessarily give you any perks, you know? Like, it's not like you're getting into panels faster than anybody else or anything like that. Although, I think a couple times on the Star Wars panels, they snuck us in. but Yeah, they did, or to the Star Wars parties and stuff, which is, you know, kind of the perk of being press and um, moderating the panels and things like that, but... Other than that, I mean, anywhere else we went, you know, outside of Star Wars, we were pretty much just on the same level as everybody. But I do have a tip for anybody who goes to Dragon Con in regards to their badge. Bring a lanyard with you, like a cool one that you want to put your badge on because they don't give you a lanyard. It just has like the little clippy on it. And I didn't know that. So I had to go buy one. But that's okay. (laughs) So let's see, on Friday, um, the first thing we got to go and cover would be the um, Goodbye to the Clone Wars, Hello to Rebels panel. And um, Riley and Bethany from the Star Wars Report, as well as some of our other friends um, from, let's see, Bria, Amy Ratcliffe, um, I think, and like, some other people were on that panel. And um, we did some live tweeting, and um, Aaron got to write a panel recap for that that is up. Um, that people can read. You can find it on StarWarsReport.com. So that was pretty cool. And it was our first chance to get to see the Star Wars room, which was completely Sabined out, which was awesome. Yeah, it was completely Rebels or Rebeled out. Rebeled, Rebeled out. out. Yeah. I would say Sabined because Sabine's the graffiti artist and it was like graffiti art all over it. Yeah, but they, they did a great job decorating that room, you know, keeping it on theme. And it definitely was like a Rebels theme. Um, yeah, so they always do such a good job with, with, uh, that Star Wars room. And they actually were doing a lot of giveaways during the whole entire convention. And for that particular panel, they gave away copies of a new Dawn. Um, so that was really cool. And they were all signed. So they were like the San Diego Comic-Con signed paperbacks. And I think it's really cool that they were able to get a hold of those and give those out to the fans because they got them prior to the release date, which is we're recording this right now. Um, a new Dawn has come out. Um, it came out like two days ago. And so they got it before it came out. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And we got to, we actually got to give some of those away ourselves in the, the panels that we moderated. But we'll get to those later. So as far as Friday goes, let's see, what else did we do? Um, I know we went and saw some other panels, like some voice acting panels and other things that were going on. But I think the Clone Wars Rebels panel was the only Star Wars panel that we did um, that day. But um, we did participate in the Suit Sinatra and Star Wars party that night, um, which was pretty fun because it was very swing inspired. And I love swing music. Um, It was I had a good time, and we got to dress all up, which was really nice. <laughs> yeah, it was that was very fun, and and Dragon Con's kind of known, you know, for the parties and stuff that go on down there, and um, it was kind of cool to have a little bit more of a laid back party like that, that that suits and Sinatra, um, you know, it wasn't like a a big loud dance party, although that those are fun too, um, 
you know, it was kind of nice to just kind of relax and, and, and hang out with friends at that type of party. And then if you want to get real crazy, you stay up after that party. And then, um, believe it or not, there's parties that start after the other parties end. You know, the, I think that party ended at like 2 a.m. And then we were about to like head back to the hotel. And next thing you know, we have people asking us, oh, are you going to go to this other party? And we're like, there's more parties after this? <laughs> like starting now at 2 a.m.? Oh, okay. You know, so... We had to at least check it out, right? Yeah, we had to at least see what it was all about. Um, I was surprised so many people were awake <laughs> at that time. But I guess, you know, you save up all year, you might as well just never sleep. And then that's how you get con cred. <laughs> um, so let's see. So the next day, um, we actually did a lot of prepping because on Saturday is the day that we got to moderate our first panel. And we really wanted to go into it very prepared and you know, I think you and I both have an idea of what we like to see on panels when we go to conventions and what we don't like to see. And I think that's the mindset we went into it. At least that's the mindset I went into it with. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I had been on some panels last year at DragonCon. My first time ever being on a panel at a convention uh, was last year. But this year was the first time that we had been asked to actually moderate a panel. So we weren't actually the ones up there kind of like the the Clone Wars panel that they did where it was just a bunch of fans up there. There was actual, you know, the Star Wars authors were going to be there. We were going to be the ones kind of generating the conversation. And so, yeah, we wanted to really be prepared and, you know, come up with some good questions that we could ask them uh, to get the conversation started before, you know, opening it up to the audience. And so. so this panel that we're talking about is actually the panel that you will hear on this particular episode. Um, it's all about tropes in Star Wars. And to be quite honest with you, we had to spend a lot of time on trying to figure out tropes and reach out to a couple of our friends. So I want to give a shout out to Jonah Marie um, Macias, who has been on the show, and also to Trisha Barr, who has been on the show for kind of helping us prep for that particular panel so that we didn't sound like morons next to Timothy Zahn and Christy Golden. <laughs> And I, I will admit, and I know you could already tell Teresa, but I was like really nervous because I had never moderated a panel before, and you know I met I had met Timothy Zahn before, but it was something a little bit different sitting on a stage with him and asking him questions and having a huge audience of you know a couple hundred people out there watching you. Um, to me, that was nerve wracking. You were cool, you were cool, but I was nervous, uh, so. It was good to be prepared just to kind of get some of those nerves out of the way. Yeah, well, I had you. You were there to back me up just in case. But I think once we got up there, the nerves kind of went away. And uh, you might be able to hear it in my voice a little bit in the recording. Uh, but overall, I felt pretty comfortable once the conversation got started and uh, had a lot of fun. It was really cool. And, and, you know, just sitting next to Timothy Zahn, you know, and asking him questions and him turning and looking me right in the eyes, you know, answering my questions with thoughtful answers and it was it was great I really enjoyed it. it was an awesome opportunity yeah and but before we did um that particular panel we went to the episode seven panel which had again a lot of our friends on it and we've done a recap of that as well you can read my written recap of that um over at the Star Wars report and that was kind of an interesting panel like what did you think going into that because it was titled episode seven. I don't know if I had really given it much thought, but I know when we sat down in the room, I was like, what are they going to talk about? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to be a lot of speculation, you know, a lot of maybe dispelling of rumors or just discussing some rumors that had gone out there. And that's pretty much what it turned out to be. And it was a fun conversation. I thought all the panelists did really well. 
Uh, that group of people tend to end up on a lot of the same panels at Dragon Con, so they've kind of built up a rapport. Uh, you know, Brian Young and Nancy and Brian from Tashi Station and, uh, you know, obviously Riley and Bethany and there were others up there as well. And I thought they did a great job and the crowd was huge. Like they had actually moved it from the main Star Wars track room to a much larger room that fit a lot more people. And that was standing room only. Yeah. And they actually turned away people from entering that panel because it was so full. I mean, we didn't even have chairs. We were sitting on the floor on the side of the panel um, because there was nowhere for anybody to sit. And I was actually pretty encouraged by the questions that were answer, asked by the audience. And it was, you know, some pretty intelligent stuff. And I really do like how at DragonCon the fans treat the panelists who are also fans as if they're kind of like in really in the know, like celebrity kind of you know, like they're asking them questions of like, is this is Jaina and Jason going to be in the movie as if we know anything, you know, but I think it's cool that they give us that kind of credibility. Um, I just think it's neat to just be seen like that amongst your peers, you know, and then to be able to come, you know, down off the panel stage and stuff and just be able to interact with everybody like it's completely normal. Like, I think that's really awesome. And um, while we're on this topic of like, you know, kind of just fans that were around um i wanted to give a shout out to um alan walsh who um is kind of a new fan of bookworms and we got to talk to him several times and um the reason i'm giving him a shout out is because he actually gave us the um star wars trivia that they did there was a star wars trivia contest he gave us the questions to that so we could kind of test our own star wars trivia and kind of see like where we would fall with our scores so thanks man <laughs> that's pretty fun did you look through it? I haven't really looked through it yet, but I just wanted to tell him thank you because I know he like, you know, really went out of his way to make sure that we had that stuff. Yeah, he was a really nice guy. And we actually bumped into him a couple times at the convention. Um, and there was a couple other people that we had met at the convention as well who, you know, had never heard of our show before and were really interested in, in listening. So it was it was cool to be able to, f- you know, find some new listeners and other people that are interested in listening to podcasts about the stuff we talk about. Yeah. And like, thanks to, um, I think it's Brian Gibson who came up to us and said hi. And, um, you know, there was a lot of people that came and said hi. So if I'm missing you, you know, it's not personal. (laughs) Um, but we did talk to a lot of people. Um, so then that night was the last party at Alderaan, which we had to go to. (laughs) Yeah. We had to check that out as well. I didn't catch it last year. I went, um, I decided to do kind of more of the room party idea last year at DragonCon. Didn't go to any of the, the uh, hotel parties. But this year I wanted to hit some of these. So, yeah, we ended up at the last party of Alderaan. Uh, luckily we were given, air quotes, VIP passes. So we didn't have to wait in the very long line that was out the door uh, of people trying to get in there. And that place was packed. Oh, it was packed. And you know what the sound for air quotes is, Aaron? It's dink, dink. dink. Yes. <laughs> dink, dink. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, it was packed and there was people trying to get in there like all night long. And, you know, it was a really good it was a really good party, really great DJs. Um, You know, they were um, having people donate to different causes. There was a bunch of charity stuff going on at Dragon Con. Um, There were some really great um, break dancers and just like all kinds of cool stuff going on in there. Um, They did do something I thought was really awesome. They played the Groot, Baby Groot video from the end of guardians of the galaxy and it was awesome (laughs) 
I must have missed that. I think you missed it, but they played it on the big screen, and they played um, I Want You Back um, by the Jackson 5 and uh, had the video of Baby Groot dancing. It was great. Um, so then Sunday, Sunday was kind of the day, I think, that we were more prepared for the panel we were moderating Sunday only because maybe we know the material better, but I feel like we should have been more nervous considering that panel had so many Star Wars authors on it. Yes, that was the more intimidating, I guess you could say, of the two panels because the first panel was just Timothy Zahn, Christy Golden, and there was supposed to be uh, Dave Dave Wolverton, um, but he wasn't able to make it because he was ill. So on the second day, though, we had, um, let's see if I can remember them all, we had Mike Stackpole, then we also had David Warburton, who today did actually come. Um, we had Kevin J. Anderson. We had Rebecca Mesta and Christy Golden and Timothy Zahn. Yeah. Is that Talk everybody? About, yeah, that's, a, that's everybody. Talk about a jam-packed panel. I mean, we were hunting for chairs trying to make sure everybody had a place to sit. And poor Aaron is sitting on the very, very edge of the table. He's not even behind the table. Yeah, my chair um, was in danger of falling off the stage. I was pushed so far off to the to the edge but yeah it was it was really cool though just to share the stage with all of these Star Wars authors who you know we've been reading their stuff and you know Kevin J Anderson Timothy's on I mean they're they're two of the you know kind of you know founders of the EU I guess you could say where their books that they wrote and their trilogies that they wrote early on in the expanded universe really set the basis for the future of the expanded universe so we, you know we had some really influential Star Wars EU authors on that stage and Mike you know obviously Mike Stackpole with the X-Wing series and you know all that so it was it was really really cool really good opportunity and I think the audio from that panel is going to be really cool because they did they speculated on a lot of stuff you know and things they would like to see and stuff that they would like to write you know and um, we can only just hope that all of these authors are asked back into the new Star Wars literary universe and I really hope that they are um, right now, the only one we know of is Christy Golden, who's doing the Asajj Ventress Quinlan Voss novel. And she doesn't even have much to tell us at this point, other than that they're still in outlines. Um, so, you know, I fingers crossed that all of our favorite authors and stuff will get a chance to dive back into the universe because they definitely sound like they want to. And you'll be able to hear the audio from, for that panel on the next episode. But don't worry, we're going to release them. Um, we're not going to wait like a week. They're both going to come out, so you'll be able to hit them back to back. Yes. So let's see. So we did that. Um, and then um, you and I decided to go and hit the Walk of Fame, which was really fun yes yeah it was our last day we wanted to make sure we hit some of these you know some of these things we didn't get a chance to uh go to before so yeah walk of fame got to to meet some people and um yeah who meet did we meet some people who did we meet teresa <laughs> we met sam whitwer yes and we he met was sam awesome whitwer. because i love darth maul does everybody here know that I think they do. <laughs> um and he was the voice of darth maul and he's adorable and you know, we, you know, to take pictures with the with the celebrities and stuff, like, you know, obviously you have to pay to take their picture, which sounds so ridiculous, but, you know, it's fair. And Aaron was saying he wanted to take a picture with Sam Whitworth, too. This is a funny story. I have to tell this. And he was like, well, maybe we can just take one together. And I went, no. <laughs> I was trying to save money. <laughs> and I was I said, like, if no. we both take it at the same time, we only have to pay for one picture. And I but said, Teresa's like, no, I'm not sharing my Sam. 
No, I'm not. I'm not at all. So we had separate pictures. Yep. And then we got to meet um, Sam Huntington, who most Star Wars fans will know from Fanboys. Um, Gosh, I can't remember the name of his character right now in Fanboys. Um, I can't either. But he's also in... That's going to drive me nuts. I have to figure that out. He's also in Superman Returns, and uh, Being Human is probably maybe what he's the most known for. And also Sam Witwer's in that as well. Um, But yeah, Teresa wanted to take a picture with Sam Huntington... I had He's already Eric in Fanboys. Eric, uh, I had already, you know, spent my money to get a picture with Sam Witwer, and I was like, you know what, you know, you can you can take a picture with Sam Huntington. I'll just stand back. I'll either take the picture or whatever. But it turns out Sam Huntington is like the nicest guy in the world, and Sam Witwer was too. He actually complimented me on my. Uh, was he was he the one that complimented me on my T-shirt, or was it? I Sam think Huntington? he com- that was Huntington. Huntington complimented you on your T-shirt and your tattoo. Ah, but yeah, so. We're we're getting a picture with him, and we notice that the person he takes a picture with before us, he's doing like the selfie style picture, but he's not just taking one picture like most of the celebrities. He's literally taking a ton of pictures and doing all these weird faces and stuff. So, so that was really cool. Um, and I guess I can let you kind of describe it since you were the one that went through the experience more than I did. Yeah, I mean, like he. Um, he kind of sat on the table and he has us both in the picture and he's just making all kinds of faces and then Aaron's photobombing in the back on a few of them and um, once I get my phone and we walk away we say bye and everything's so nice super nice guy Um, I looked and I counted and I had like over 20 pictures (laughs) which is really cool like that's I mean the fact that you're walking around and you're meeting these celebrities um you know, it's hit and miss. Some of these celebrities have been doing it for years. They're kind of jaded. You know, they're kind of like, put on the fake smile, take the picture, and you walk away. But some of them really embrace it. And these guys both really just were so personable and friendly and, you know, appreciative of the fact that you came up and talked to them. And, you know, like something like he did there where he took a ton of pictures. It wasn't just one picture. You know, there's a ton of pictures and they were all fun. He's making faces and he's letting me jump in and photobomb. And, you know, it was just a really good experience. And for that, I, you know, however much money you know it wasn't like this huge amount of money that we had to pay for you know but the small amount of money that they did ask it was totally worth it yeah absolutely um you know so that was pretty much our dragon con i mean we did a lot of other things that are like non-star wars stuff and like going to other panels and you know checking out other things around and um you know we did spend a lot of time with riley and bethany and um it was really sad to leave i just really didn't want dragon con to be over but sadly it was yeah, it's any of those conventions you get to hang out with these friends that you don't get to see that often. Um, you know, most of us live, you know, different parts of the country where it's not like we can just go hang out whenever we feel like it. So these conventions are where we get to really get together and and hang out and see each other. So yeah, it is it's definitely sad to leave these friends behind and you know, we know we're going to see them again, you know, at different events, but it might be quite a while until we see certain people. So it it's it is definitely a sad time. Yeah, well, that was our Dragon Con. Um, Why don't we send everybody into the audio for the Tropes and Star Wars panel? All right. Sorry about that. Uh, Nightcrawler would make a fortune out there. (laughs) Teleport to Marriott Lobby, $1. 
All right, we are ready to go. My name is Teresa Delgado. I am from Star Wars Bookworms as well as the Star Wars Report and Jedi News UK. And this is Aaron Goins. He's my co-host for Star Wars Bookworms. He also writes for the Star Wars Report and Jedi News. So, so the people that you really want to hear from, not from me and Teresa, is the two awesome authors that we have here. Um, Chrissy Golden, who has written... Uh, She has written a few Star Wars novels and is actually working on one now. Um, Quinlan Voss, Asajj Ventress novel. Have you guys all heard of that? Yeah, that's. I'm really excited for that one. Um, and then we also have here Timothy Zahn. I think some of you may have heard of him. <laughs> Obviously, the author of the uh, Thrawn trilogy and a number of other Star Wars novels. Uh, so, welcome. Thank you for spending your time with us. Um, before, before we get into the actual content of the panel, which is uh, tropes that we're going to be talking about, I did want to ask Christy, since we have you here, and you do have this novel coming out, is there anything at all that you can tell us about the Quinlan Voss Asajj Ventress novel? Well, um, it's about uh, Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's going to be based on some scripts that never aired, um, and we are currently kind of sussing out the outline at the moment, back and forth between me and Shelley Shapiro and um, Jennifer Heddle, and uh, I think we're all very excited because this is something that's has been from something already established that is moving forward as canon and uh, now is the time when we kind of get to figure out what we take from where um, and try and, and blend I think the legends and into um, going forward so it's a very very interesting time and it's a, a cool project to be part of um, I'm very much enjoying my you know twist my arm make me watch the Clone Wars oh man you know so I'm really really enjoying twist, that twist. oh okay yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's great. I love the characters, and I'm I'm really looking forward to um, what we're going to get to do with it. Okay. So this panel is all about tropes, and we wanted to give you guys kind of a definition of how tropes are seen in entertainment, in case some of you don't know. So we took this from TVTropes.org. A trope is a convention, a plot trick, a setup, a narrative structure, a character type, a linguistic idiom that's not necessarily disruptive to the story, whenever the trope becomes distracting, it can become a cliche. So that's sort of how it's defined for entertainment versus literature. So our first question for you is, what role should tropes play in Star Wars? We can start with Tim. Uh, I mean, is, we, we have a feel for how the galaxy far, far away works. Certain things will come up uh, Certain amount of you know friction between character A and character B, um, we we think and fight and you know talk our way out of situations. I don't know if those are actual tropes, but I mean they're certainly a standard sort of thing. And at the end, we expect either a big space battle or a big lightsaber battle, or if we're lucky, both. Um, I don't know. That's. Are we going to get to tropes we don't like? Yes, okay. we will. <laughs> I'll hold off. Um, I am sure 
everybody here knows this, um, but the original Star Wars, uh, Lucas based very heavily on Joseph Campbell's work on the hero with the thousand faces, hero's journey. And because of that, um, I think that was a key factor in how popular Star Wars was because it really touched a universal deep chord. So, I mean, you can we can sit here and have a whole other panel on what is a trope versus what is an archetype versus what is a cliche. And um, I don't I don't think tropes are, are necessarily bad because I think they go back to themes um, or, or uh, types of characters that, that resonate with us on a deep level. So um, I'm sure, I, I certainly hope that was one of the things I dearly loved. I, I have turned into, uh, uh, most of my writing has some roots in uh, something mythic. And I love the hero's journey, and I love touching these ancient storylines that, that still move us today. So I actually hope going forward we see, see more of these universal and um, timeless themes. I think you touched on, on a point that cliche is a trope that you don't like to a large extent. If you like it and you feel it adds and, and makes the continuity, it's a trope. If you just are sick of it personally, then it's a cliche. And it's different for everybody, of course. So when you guys are writing, are you consciously thinking of, the, of tropes or possible tropes? Um, or is it something where you're just writing the story and certain things just happen to come out? Um, it, it depends on the project. Um, a lot of times, um, I will get something already with the skeleton already worked out and ready for me to, to flesh it out. Um, other times, I, and I find especially when, when I get stuck, when, when I get stuck plotting something, um, I do go back actually. There's a wonderful book out there called The Writer's Journey. And, um, it kind of takes the whole hero's journey concept and it, it breaks it down into 12, 12 steps. And by gosh and by golly, once you know them, you, you start seeing them in everything. You know, everything from Casablanca, you know, to Star Wars, to, uh, um, you know, an officer and a gentleman, etc. cetera. And um, I find that that at least kind of gets me past the rough part to uh, think of something. And what's funnest is to get to one of those steps and craft it so that it doesn't even become one of the steps anymore, but it becomes so much a part of a story that you wonder how the story could have existed without it. Yeah, for me, it's more, it's, it's like I said, the second, I, I've done this enough times that I'm not consciously thinking tropes or anything of that sort. I'm just crafting the story and they're just in there because, as you said, the legends are what connects us. They're, they're legends and they're, they're tropes because they make the emotional connection with the reader or the viewer or whatever. And so it just becomes a natural part. I don't think, okay, this is a trope I'm putting in here. It's just, well, this is the way the story is flowing because this is the way I, as an author, have learned to craft this so that it will be satisfying to both me as a writer and, and you guys as the readers. So are there certain tropes that you're more comfortable using that you find yourself using more often than others? Um, hero or somebody who does not necessarily want to be a hero but is kind of forced into the situation. That's very Star Wars. That's also very Terminator. That's also very, you know, <laughs> pick your genre. A lot of those. Buffy, for that matter. Um uh, that that's a classic again one of our classic uh, legend type things and uh, it allows among other things it allows the 
the the everyman in the audience to relate to your character that you know we're not all uh, Aragorn the the heir of kings but we are all on some level hobbits we're Sam the Hobbit who just wants to tend his garden so you you have those tropes those characters because they're they're the types of people emotionally can catch on to and and follow and root for I actually have two themes that I, I work with. I find them just coming up over and over and over again. And they're be, it's because they're interesting to me and I want to know the answer. And so I keep trying to work through it. And of course, I'll never know the answer to these things. And one of them is what makes good people go, go dark? What makes a good person fall? And what are the tiny, tiny little awful steps that each one is really not that bad, but you put them together and it leads to a very dark path. And so, you know, obviously we see that, of course, in Star Wars. Um, we saw that in Arthas. Um, you see that in, in real life. You see people who are decent people and then suddenly, you know, you look around and they're, they're all the way over here and, and they're doing things. So what is it that makes people go bad? It's fascinating to me to try and understand that. And um, the second thing is... Uh, while that always saddens me that that seems we be see, we seem to be stuck with good people going bad um we also get to experience the triumph of the human spirit and that's you know such a gaggy way to put it but i can't it's it's true and you see people and you know what is it about these people uh you know um who survived the holocaust and 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 came out with their souls and their hearts whole and their faith in, in humanity still whole. How do they survive it? How do people rise from these terrible things that happened to them? What is it about this person that makes them able to continue on? And what is it about somebody else that makes them crumble? And I just find this endlessly fascinating. And because I'm enjoying puzzling this out, I hope hopefully I can write a story that the reader enjoys as well. In, interesting. You mentioned the first because one of my, the themes I keep coming back to is the possibility of redemption that no matter how far down they have gone, they can come back. Whether you ch they choose to come back is part of the story and the character arc, but there is always the possibility of redemption. I know you guys don't have any information on Episode 7 or anything like that, um, unless you're writing the novel, but we don't know that no. yet. So. Um, <laughs> but... Um, with that story coming up, and I know you've already written about the future of Luke Skywalker in the Legends universe, um, but one of the main, or one of the very common tropes that's out there is kind of the death of a mentor, and we kind of saw that with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, as writers going forward with the Star Wars universe, um, would you write um, the death of Luke Skywalker, because if in Episode Seven, if he plays a mentor-type character, do you think it would be kind of a natural progression that we would see his death, um, kind of that trope repeated? You will see me willingly kill Luke Skywalker when you pry that lightsaber from my cold dead finger. <laughs> <laughs> what she said. I, I, Star Wars changed my life when I was 13 years old and saw it in the movie for the first time. I came out of there a different person. And I went back that summer again and again and again and again. And Luke Skywalker was my first great love. And, and, and I could not imagine being the one to have to write that death scene. So I'm sure hoping they don't do that. And, and there's really no need for it. I mean, that's part of the legend sort of thing. But we're not fixed and stuck with this, this legend. Um, let's see, quote another movie, movie, the future is not fixed. It is what you make of it or whatever, whatever uh, they, they uh, told Linda Hamilton. 
Um, yeah, we don't have no to follow fate, the trope. No fate, but what we make. No, thank you. No fate, but what we make. Um, yeah, I mean, that is that is a trope, that's a pattern, but it doesn't have to be followed. And I'm with her. I would not kill off Luke Skywalker. I wouldn't kill off any of the major three uh, because thanks to the Internet, people do know where I live. Um, <laughs> I hid it for a long time, but not anymore. And, and there's no reason to. There, there's... Um, People say, well, there's no you know, ending. Well, Sherlock Holmes went off, stopped doing stories, and went off and became a beekeeper in you know, Devonshire or wherever. You can put your character off camera. I mean, everybody dies eventually, but you don't have to show it anywhere. And um, it, you haven't asked this, but I'm going to answer it anyway. What I would like to see from the movies is something that I think Disney has always done well or always attempted to do. I would like to see a good family relationship. Because look back at Star Wars movies, everybody's dysfunctional. <laughs> now, now, granted, a lot of those dysfunctional relationships are because somebody manipulated them into being dysfunctional. But we haven't seen... What I would like to see is the Star Wars version of The Incredibles. <laughs> that the next the next generation squabbling with Luke, Han, and Leia, but when push comes to shove, they join forces and they kick major butt all the way to the Andromeda galaxy. But that Disney has always done or looked at family relationships. I would like to see good family relationships for once in Star Wars. Well, Christy, why don't you piggyback off that? Is there anything you want to see happen in Episode 7? Well, I, I, it was it was something that I had not ever dared dream is to see the big three back on the screen. I am so excited about that. I am so thrilled to see that, and um, I love a tune set. I really, I really like that. Uh, getting to write, um, you know, one of my favorite characters in the EU uh, to write was Ben Skywalker. And I really loved Ben, and I loved Jaina, and um, I. I would like to see uh, a, a lineage. I would like to see a heritage um, that, you know, that, that Kenobi died to protect, right? Yeah. And that Luke struggled with to preserve. I would like to see that survive and become something that, that grows and builds and um, is tested because that's where yeah. the, you know, the kick-ass stuff comes in. Right. Um, but... I, I have high I have high hopes I really really do um, because I can't imagine anybody would spend what four billion dollars to acquire a franchise and then proceed to just yeah. tank it <laughs> so I'm sure that they're all trying to do the very best they can and uh, I'm 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 very hopeful that um, we'll see something that we're all very excited about and we have seen their track record of acquiring Pixar and Marvel and not screwing them up so I think they we've got hopes that I mean it's possible that they will still screw up Star Wars, but they've got a track record that says it's going to be harder for them to do it than, say, some other studio full of suits who have no idea what they're doing. Uh, I will mention we did see Lucasfilm did do the family sort of thing I would like to see at least once, Henry Jones Sr. and Henry Jones Jr. So that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. If if not, something, a reconciliation, a healing, a, you know, end this thing with... The family structure, as you said, what Obi Wan died to protect and to to uh, keep going. I'd like to see that come to fruition. So, 
women have always been fans of Star Wars. I mean, Christy, you know that. You saw it when it first came out. But at least over the last decade, the rise of the fangirl has happened. And the call for strong female characters has also happened. And we've seen that with Padme and Leia. Is there any female character that you've had the chance to write that you've been able to really throw in using those tropes, that strong female action-packed character and a female character you really enjoyed writing? I can't think of anybody I've done. (laughs) 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 Well, obviously Mara Jade, but also uh, Shada Dekal, the Mistral Shadow Warrior, um, and I like uh, the the women that that I put into Scoundrels. I think they were all in their own way strong, competent, capable characters who are not there as filler or eye candy. They are there to do their job, and they do it very well, all of them. Well, I, of course, um, got to deal with um, with Jaina, and I, I have a pretty good track record with women named Jaina <laughs> for all you World of Warcraft fans out there. Um, so I, that, it's pretty funny that both of those lovely ladies have come my way. Um, but I love Jaina, and um, I also got to create Vestar Akai, um, who is conflicted with capital C. And um, she she is, uh, I think, a combination of both strengths and weaknesses, which, of course, to me, which, which makes the character interesting. Um, give your hero some flaws and your villain some virtues, and, and uh, you've got a, a more interesting story. But, yeah, I, I really do, and I'm... Uh, I, you know, I don't know any more than y'all know about probably less uh, than, than you guys know, because um, you're you've got your ears to the to the to the wall to, to find out what's going on. Um, but I I hope that that continues. I hope we do see generational things, and I hope we see characters um, you know that at least uh, have a kinship with with um, with um, Mara and uh, and Jaina. And I think you you hit on it that we're not talking about just strong women in the sense of a female Conan the Barbarian. We're talking about human women, realistic, well-fleshed out, uh, three-dimensional, who have their strengths, have their weaknesses, have their, their baggage, have their hopes, uh, are able to stand side by side with the men heroes who also should have their baggage and their hopes and their, their uh, shortcomings, etc. In other words, just make them all working together, strengths and weaknesses compatible, just making them part of the story, part of the adventure, not just somebody we threw in because it's politically correct to do that. We are going to be opening it up to audience questions, so if you want to start thinking of questions, uh, you can start lining up here at the microphone. but we did want to ask one last question to you guys. Um, is there any tropes, and you had kind of guessed that we've asked this, but is there any tropes that you would never use or you, you try to avoid in your writing? Super weapons. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this qualifies as, as a, a trope, but it's, this is something that you hear in the writing industry. And it's called an idiot plot device. Have you guys heard this? Yeah, the idiot plot. And 
the the definition of the idiot plot is that somebody in the script has to act like an idiot in order for the plot to work. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, we really ha we have this, you know, bomb that we want to use, and uh, yeah, we understand that, you know, everybody, you know, whatever the situation is, we have a bomb expert as, as our main character or, or whatever, but somebody's got to forget or overlook or do something really stupid, and um, I sometimes in tie-in fiction you get handed things, and sometimes you get handed an idiot plot, and so the challenge is to try and make it work so that you look clever and it really isn't an idiot plot device and it's just you know so i i don't like seeing those because uh, and when i read them or i see them in movies and you see them in movies a lot more than in books um but you see them in movies and you just do this and so i i try very hard not to have idiot plot devices i i like the phrase we have entered the mystic realm of writer's convenience <laughs> <laughs> but there there is something used to be on, on on the web, I'm sure it's still there, what I would do if I was an evil overlord, you know, and, and things like I would run my plan past an eight-year-old child. If they can find the flaws in it, I will change them. Um, you know, if I have a, a countdown device on my, my doomsday weapon, I will have it set to go off at 43, not zero. <laughs> It's hilarious, and it hits all of those idiot plot trope things as well. Okay, we're going to open up the floor to questions, but guys, just keep in mind we want to get through everybody, so no two-part questions, no three-part questions. Just pick your best one, okay? So this is for Christine in relation to... Speak into the oh, mic. Sorry, People want to hear have to get closer to it. Uh, in relation to Vistar Kai, she was a character introduced in that the, the Fate of the Jedi series, and... One of the things I've noticed in the Star Wars universe is you guys spoke of the tropes of characters who slowly fall to the dark side and those little steps. And Vistara kind of seemed like there were little steps that were coming her way to help her come. And I guess I kind of saw her as the next generation of Mara Jade, that character that would eventually be led to the light side. And with the changes to the canon and everything like that, I don't think we're going to get to see necessarily what happens next with Vistara. So I was curious what your vision for her future was and if you had one for her character development. Gosh, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. Y'all back me up, right? Okay. Um, one of the things that I threw out at one point when I was shooting the breeze with Shelley to come many years ago was I wanted to do a big book with her a couple years on where she was basically a Joan of Arc character leading the Lost Tribe against the One Sith. And falling, of course, because, you know, because... Um, and that was something that I would, would love to have seen her doing because in the end it was love of her people and, and you know the familial connections that proved just too strong for her to walk away from. And I, I would have liked to have seen her, uh, you know, it, it, in, a, in a book that did not have Jedi or good, where it's just two, two kind of bad guys, um, I would like to have seen her have at least some redemption in dying for, for love of her people. So that's, that's what, what I would have liked to have seen. Hi, how's it going? Uh, I, I enjoy the books, flies? all the Star I, Wars books. Know, you you need to probably have to eat can the mic. Raise? Oh, yeah, oh, can oh, we oh, raise oh, the oh, mic oh, a little bit? Oh, oh, all right, all right, is this good? All right. Or just raise it. Um, yeah, we're talking about a new Star Wars book coming out. I was wondering if there was any talks of maybe a Darth Xana book in in the future. Maybe if anyone would 
<laughs> well, I am completely out of the loop. I've not been contacted for any books or anything else. So um, I've apparently the older generation, the new generation, is picking up the slack. <laughs> well, if if it ever comes up, Darzan, and if possible, if either one of you or even Drew Carpenter, I would enjoy it. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you could probably tweet to Drew, and he'll probably answer you. He has a good answer for that question. So. I appreciate it. <laughs> Hi. Um, so this sort of piggybacks off of your question about the, the female characters. but So I saw this uh, commercial, and it was a 1980s commercial for Star Wars Underoos. <laughs> <laughs> and creepy as it was, the little kids dancing in their pajamas, what was cool about it is it was equally targeted at boys and girls. Me growing up, I never really saw that with Star Wars. There was the Barbie Isle and the Star Wars Isle, Never the Twain Shall Meet. Um, so I guess what I'm asking is, did, did have, have you ever noticed how did that change come about? Was marketing toward women and women being sort of more accepted into the Star Wars geek culture a thing in the 80s that went away and is now coming back? Or, I don't know. Was was it just seemed odd that it, it existed then and then didn't for a while and then that maybe now is again? Well, uh, when I heard they were having trouble getting Lucasfilm to market Leia dolls or something like that, so they—I'm not sure it's even back now. Uh, there, there are areas where Star Wars is being marketed towards female fans, and then there are areas where there are not. And I would say in literature, it seems to be pretty 50-50. Um, we're seeing it more in the clothing lines and stuff with her universe, for example. Yeah. But in the toy realm, it's very much lacking. Um, it's not to say that it's lacking for any certain reason other than that they like to stick to certain characters that are going to start generating revenue. Um, and that... I'm not saying that it's correct. I'm not saying that that's the right way to go about it, but you just think about it from the business frame of mind that typically a Luke action figure or a Luke doll, unfortunately, is going to sell over a Leia. Um, and and so. it does take a fair amount of startup money to design, build, market, shelf space, any toy, action figure, whatever, and if they are not convinced that Leia will pull her weight, as it were, you can see the, the bean counter types in Disney saying, you know, think, rethink this. So we don't know. It's, it's much easier in a book where, okay, we're not going to chop out these extra chapters. It doesn't take extra extra shelf space to put a good good female character in. So we have it much easier. Yeah. We can do all of that without having to you know, run it by marketing and uh, production and all of that. So um, I, I agree. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that is probably the logic and the thinking behind it. People like uh, Ashley Eckstein and her universe are hopefully showing them, you know, it's it, it saying in Hollywood, everybody wants to be first to be second. In other words, you don't want to take the risk on Harry Potter, but you want the first Harry Potter clone that comes along because that's less risky. It's already proven himself. So if you have somebody like her universe who has taken the first steps and is making money hand over fist, it's easier to get the, the other bean counters at the other people saying, oh, there's a market for this. Let's jump on the bandwagon. So it may take some more time. I think they will find Whatever little baby steps they take when they start selling out of these things, 
it hopefully will will come back to where it ought to be. Thank, thank you all for your efforts regardless in thank that you. regard. Well, and just to address something really quick with that, um, when it comes to, I know this isn't obviously a toy panel, but I did spend some time with Lucasfilm and with the Disney store, so I can tell you that the direction that the toys are going right now is being driven by Lucasfilm, not by Disney. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, I know a lot of people are concerned about the way Disney is handling things. That is not their call. They're working hand hand in hand with Lucasfilm, and those have been their decisions at this point. Yeah, that's good. I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you coming this afternoon. Uh, my question is, uh, I'm an English teacher, and so my question is, what are your big literary influences? Uh, <laughs> well, um, I'm a big Shakespeare fan. Always, always love loved my Shakespeare. Um, I was a voracious reader. Uh, I read, um, you know, Charlotte's Web, all the wonderful uh, stories, uh, Princess and the Goblin. Was one of my favorites, uh, Narnia, Tolkien, um, and uh, I've, I read a lot less now than, than I, I did, which which makes me sad. But um, but yeah, I, I definitely was was a big. I started reading when I was five, before I was even in first grade, and um, I just we'd go to the library and I come home with just tons and tons and tons of books. So thank you for <laughs> yes. teaching our our, our youngsters. Um, it's, it's good it's good to to hear that. Spent most of my time getting high schoolers to write essays. So, <laughs> uh, general science fiction. Read everything in the library when I started. You know, having actual money, I could buy books of my own. Um, not so much the classics, unless you count Tom Swift Jr., which I consider a classic. Um, I would just say, let the kids read whatever they want to read, whatever they're interested in. Get them reading. Um, I, I'm sorry, I know Moby Dick is a, is a apparently was a spellbinder back in the day, but <laughs> I, I've met enough enough people who have said yours were the first books I read for fun, and that's kind of a sad commentary on some of the thinking in the school system. You know, I, I realize you want to learn the classics, you want to give them a taste of Shakespeare and, and such, but you know, give them something they want to read, and they will keep reading. And this is just reality. Our hands are tied in oh. most things. Yeah, I wasn't blaming the teachers. <laughs> Hi there. I want to start by saying that they're asking us to sit down after we talk to you, so I don't want you to appear rude, but we're all going to start doing that now. So, okay. um, My question is, I, I'm a little bit behind most of the other fans. I just recently found out that the um, the extended universe stuff is going to be considered legends now. And I just wondered, um, based on, um, you know, your ownership of what it is that you have produced for them, um, what kind of emotions has that evoked in you guys to find out that you've been relegated to the legends section? Whenever you go into this kind of a contract with a, 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 a spin-off or uh, uh, somebody else's universe, you know going in you don't own it. And you know that whatever you create is theirs to do with as they choose. And if you're not comfortable with that or at least willing to accept it, you don't sign the contract and you, you write your own stuff instead. Um, it's not a pleasing thought. On the other hand, the way to think about it, the way I'm thinking about it is if they don't take anything from 
my books and they don't contradict anything from my books, I will assume that really did still kind of happen. <laughs> but the other way of looking at that is that we authors are masters of spackle and hand-waving. So for example, if um, the, the new movie comes out and Talon Card is mentioned, but he's an alien, okay, well, you see, when I was writing the stories, the guy who you thought was Talon Card was his front man because he was kind of reclusive. And so, yeah, he, in a sense, he was Talon Card because he was acting for him, but just the fact he was really an alien just never came out in the stories and you never saw that. So it really doesn't contradict what I wrote. <laughs> we are masters at this and we will be doing it full time once the movies start coming out. I like what Tim said. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel the same way. The other thing is, is that um, as uh, Shelley Shapiro has said, these these books aren't going anywhere. It's not like they're going to suddenly vanish off your Kindle or you know fly off from your your bookshelves. You've still got them. Does not know where you live. You've still got them. You know, as far as I know, they're going to stay in print. I don't know for sure, so that's just me theorizing. Um, and. You know, comics have been doing this for years. You know, they, they have the different universes, so this is now the Legends universe. And I don't think that invalidates any art fans draw or any stories fans write or these books or anything or your love for the characters. They didn't die. Um, you know, they still live. When Anytime you crack open the pages of the book, they still live. And I find it interesting that groups like the 501st have already announced that those characters still are acceptable in the ranks of you know, Mara Jade and, and some of the others are still acceptable into the 501st and the Rebel Legion I think has done the same so you know, they, they, they may ignore us but they can't really get rid of us uh, hi, Hello and thank you for visiting again uh, my question was in particular for Mr. Zahn Will the legend continue, meaning the under the legends label, are you going to continue to annotate it, Dark Forces Rising and Last Command, because I really love those annotations? What I have heard, and I may be misinterpreting, but I, I think I heard they're not going to be doing any more legends books. In other words, they're not going to be doing any more books that are not approved by the story group and are fitting into the greater continuity. And that makes a certain amount of sense. There's no point in... You, you're dragging the dead horse elsewhere if you that's a terrible analogy never mind that one. <laughs> but um which is a shame because there were several other books i wa i would like to pitch to them and if they're if if the legends era is over then those are not going to go anywhere um so that means no dark force rising or last command annotated versions now, it's conceivable, though extremely unlikely, like, you know, zero, a bit lower, that where Delray may get only a certain number of books to publish, they might have a little more slack on ebooks. And it is conceivable if they had an ebook slot open, we could talk them into doing annotations for Dark Force Rising or Last Command. If they do, I'd be, I'd be happy to do them. I already have the basic stories in mind, the additional stories, novellas that I would add to that that I had planned when we hoped we would do all three books. But um, yeah, at the moment, I don't think they're planning any other 
Legends era stuff. It's all going to be the new, new improved, authorized, uh, uh, coherence, non non contradictory stuff. Yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> this is Star Wars. There are going to be contradictions. So that's that's the long answer. To that the short answer is no. Hey, uh, this is actually going back to tropes because what we were talking here. A little closer. <clears throat> This is going back to tropes, which is what we were kind of here originally for, which is there seems to be a trope that's cropped up in a lot of Star Wars properties as of late with other with other writers, where they keep wanting to make the good guys, or the Jedi Order, whoever you're going to be, as somehow they've got dark, terrible secrets, and we must point this out to all of the readers. What do you guys think that comes from, and how do you feel about it? I think we can call this trope, I'm good, but I have a dark secret trope or something like that. Um, I think... If we're seeing that, that means that it's, we, we talked earlier about, you know, give your v heroes some, some flaws. And I think that may simply be that, um, you know, it's hard to be good if you've done things in your life that you're ashamed of. And I think everybody walking this planet has done something that they're ashamed of. But, you know, hopefully people still try to be good. And um, I think it may simply be uh, the trope that is trying to reconcile, well, if I want to be good, but I've done bad things, how can a bad person be good? And I think that's probably what what you're seeing. Yeah, and it can be overused. I mean, the idea that the hero has flaws does not mean that they have a dark secret or, or, or you know murder yeah. their kids when they were you know crying too long, which we were tempted to do at least one or two times. <laughs> <laughs> Corwin's taking notes back there. Um, I mean, a, a flaw can simply be. You know, blind spot or whatever. I mean, look at some of our the characters that Marvel has made such a, such a success of. People like um, uh, Captain America and Thor. They do not have a dark secret, but they are not perfect human beings. And the idea that oh, they must have a dark secret can be overused, can be lazy. Okay, that's an obvious one. I can throw that one in. So, again, whenever you're doing books, you've got to be careful you're not overrunning the same territory over and over again. Hello. There's a trope which I like to call the Darth Vader effect. It's when a villain is so scary that they, uh, they terrify their subordinates because they, they punish them horribly. But, uh, and Darth Vader does that, of course. Grand Admiral Thrawn does not. In fact, he has excellent leadership qualities, and that's one of the things that makes him so terrifying as a villain. Exactly. So I'd like to ask you all, what is it that you think makes a great villain in science fiction? Probably one that is opposing the, the good guys for whatever reason or whatever their goal is and is extremely competent in, in uh, winning or getting towards that goal. Um, I, I, one of my favorite villains is... Uh, the character James Mason played in North by Northwest because he's very quiet, he's very calm, he's very suave, and he has ice for a soul. And you know, so, um, we, we, you tell us the, who, you, who you're working for. I'm not working for anybody. You've got the wrong guy. Uh, we're going to have to kill you, uh, but I'm not the right uh, I have guests. Deal with him. And walks off to uh, his dinner party. Uh, it's just a chilling sort of character. So it doesn't have to be mean or vicious or you know just overtly Darth Vader-ish. You can you can make a good scary villain out of pretty much anybody. What I like to do is to have a villain that has some quality 
that hopefully the reader likes. And so that, you know, what makes good people do bad things? Makes what makes you, the reader, start sympathizing with the bad guy. Oh, no. Um, but if you see something in there that you can relate to, then suddenly this person is sort of like you. Oh, my God, I'm sort of like a mass murderer. Crikey. <laughs> You know, maybe I have some thinking about my life to do. But something like that, if they've got something that is appealing or that is admirable uh, about them, that makes you kind of go, whoa. Because it's really easy to dismiss a one-dimensional villain. But something that's got something that's that's admirable about them, it's a little harder, and that gets, lets them get the foot in the door. So that is why the head of Spectre has a white cat. Ah, got it. Kitties. Kitties. <laughs> uh, and this in, is even before the internet. <laughs> yeah. In um in Star Wars, uh, the setting and <clears throat> the set pieces are always as important to setting the tone as the conflict and things like that. Um, so the question I have then is, are there settings that you think? have been done to death or maybe just don't work in novel format that work in other formats. So like as an author, what are some settings that if you were handed this you just go, Oh God, no. You know, the you know, high walkways with no you know, with no railings, yeah. volcano oh, okay. pits, yeah. Sarlax, you know, that that sort of thing. The the no railings, the you know, we've eliminated OSHA is is always one of the problems. Um <laughs> But, I mean, you had that with the Enterprise being thrown around their bridge, too, because they'd lost seatbelt technology. So, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 that's not, not unique to Star Wars. Uh, but, yeah, the, uh, the, I mean, it comes back to the people doing stupid things. And that backdrop uh, goes back to people designing things stupidly. Uh, yeah, you'll have safety restraints. In, in fact, Star Wars has one of my favorite examples of how to do it right. When Lando goes up at the end of Empire Strikes Back, the hatch opens when he hooks his safety line onto the ring. This is a safety interlock. That's how people design things in the real world. Uh, and when he comes back down, it closes after he pulls the safety line off. So you see glimpses of this in movies and television, but often it's, again, the mystical realm of, of writer's convenience. We need we need the emperor to fall down a, a, a shaft that goes nowhere. Well, we don't want him to have to roll over a railing. Let's just not put a railing in there. What? Uh, you know, I'd look at that thing and call you know, maintenance up immediately. You know, at least put some yellow tape here so we don't accidentally <laughs> fall into it. This is Sparta. <laughs> no railings here in Sparta. Um... I don't really have a, a problem with them. I do think they can be cliche, but I think they stem right directly from the old our, our old our old friends, the hero's journey, um, which is you know trials, tests, etc. That the ancient hero of mythology had to undergo. You know the riddle of the Sphinx, the trials of Hercules. These these obstacles that are, have no other purpose. But to test, I mean, the bridge isn't there really for any purpose. It wasn't a practical bridge if it's got no railings on it. So um, I don't know what I, what I think about those. I think I don't mind them because they're kind of like old familiar friends. If, if they crop up as they are supposed to do, which is to serve here as the hero's testing, and they're written well enough, um, I don't mind them. But I certainly do, do see what you're talking about. They do tend to crop up. 
Actually, though, I mean, if you're clever, you can you can turn this over. The the trials of Hercules, the twelve tasks of Hercules, they have a purpose. Kill this guy. Well, the guy's right. trying to yes. get rid of Hercules. Let's make things as hard as we can and get rid of the guy. So you can you can do this. Take the trope, take the cliche, and make it work. You actually sort of just played in the question that I had a little bit, which is... The Force is strong with us. <laughs> uh, Star Wars tends to play lots of these tropes and cliches really straight, just throw them at you like this is by the book, like these are the ways that heroes and stories work. But uh, on the flip side, lots of stories do a good job of subverting those things and taking the cliches and actually giving them sort of a new perspective or new meaning to them in an interesting way. And I was wondering if you guys had any personal examples of stories that you really like that do that really well. I'm sure we do. I'm just <laughs> having trouble thinking of one right off the bat. <laughs> Me too. Uh, <laughs> good question. Next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll mull at this and see if we come up with something in the next five minutes. <laughs> J.J. Uh, Abrams has alluded to the idea of using some elements of the expanded universe going forward, uh, sort of picking and choosing what he's going to use. H have you guys uh, had any uh, sort of questions thrown at you from either Lucasfilm or Disney about anything of that nature that, that you could talk about? I can neither confirm nor deny any on, on that subject. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I can simply say nope. Nobody. <laughs> so obviously they're talking to you, but they are not talking to me. Cue the crickets. Hi, <laughs> Tim. So I know you have a Scoundrels 2 plotline somewhere in that brain. Yes. Because I've asked you about it multiple times. Yeah. So given that this is a tropes panel, had you gotten to write Scoundrels 2, which heist tropes would have been involved? Which tropes would have been in Scoundrels 2? Yes. It would have been, again, an Ocean's Eleven type of thing. Uh, the hook. How many of you have not read Scoundrels? Okay. I'll, I'll be... <laughs> I'll have some for sale tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so I'll be vague about that, but there's a scene near the end with Lando and somebody, and Lando now owes this person a favor, and this person would call Lando in on the favor, and Lando would have to assemble the team again. That is the hook where I would go. Other than that, it would be just the basically the... the Ocean's Eleven type heist type of thing. Only, I mean, it would be a little bit different, uh, but no specific tropes. Just again, a team working working together. I, I, again, the trope in that it's an Ocean's Eleven or the Sting type of thing, where the the team is working together and they're not going to stab each other in the back like so many heist movies are like because they're nasty people. Uh, these are good bad people. Yes, they are. And um, are heroes with flaws? Heroes with flaws, or villains with a heart of gold, or no? We just know each other, we trust each other, and we're going to make out like bandits, literally, on this one. So aside from that, the, and the fact that it's never going to get written because it's a legend zero thing, sigh. Okay, um, so I wanted to ask a question about villains, but it was already asked. Um, but I wanted to ask the tropes in books or a little bit different than the tropes that are in movies because movies are more visual and books are more you get more inner monologue with with books um so from the star wars series kind of abandoning a, like most of the books what do you think will happen 
with the new movies, what, how do you think that that will change how, the abandoning of those inner monologue tropes? How would that change that? Like, for example, you have Darth Vader, who's visually very scary, and then you have Thrawn, who is mentally very scary. How do you think, going from Darth Vader now to going to a new villain that is not Thrawn, how do you think that that will Well, again, it's, you can make a villain, you don't have, it, the movies are, all you've got are visuals and dialogue to, to work with, unless you go with, you know, voiceovers, which almost never work. Uh, we've got much more varied approaches with the inner monologue the, the, that, and that sort of thing. Uh, that being said, again, you do not need to go with um, the Darth Vader or the cackling emperor type to show this is a villain. All you would need to do is, you know, have some starship cut through some New Republic forces, just devastate them and just keep going and cut to whoever is on the bridge and that's your villain and it doesn't matter what he or she looks like. They have just cut through our forces. This is somebody to be reckoned with. This is our new villain. And from that point on, I mean, he could look like Harry Potter and you would shiver when he showed up on screen because <laughs> you would know somebody is going to be in trouble with this. So, I mean, again, you can turn the trope on its, on, a, on its head. This is a scary-looking guy. No, this is a very non-scary-looking guy, but be afraid. Uh, I mean, everything from Hannibal Lecter on has shown you can you can make the most ordinary person scare the audience to death if you do it right. Yeah, that really is. I, I think a job for the the scriptwriters and and the actors. Um, I you know we don't know yet what who our villains going to be and uh, how that's going to shape up. Um, but um, I I would love to see you know I, let's let's face it. Darth Vader's entrance in in a new hope there's wow even now that that beautiful synergy of the black and the white coloring and the music and that you know i mean it was amazing it was brilliant it was brilliant um but there are so many other ways evil evil does not necessarily have to be big and dramatic with a soaring score even evil can be very quiet and very lethal and very very chilling and and notice even with vader's entrance you have set it up with the capture of the ship and the slaughtering of the defenders yeah and then he comes in so we already have a whole group of badasses here here's the head badass so we have (laughs) it's it's a whole package that uh lucas put together beautifully and uh we hope they have not forgotten how to do this sort of thing so let's uh, try to make these last couple questions really quick. So one of my favorite uh, areas of Star Wars that I like to focus on and I kind of specialize in is like the geography or like astrography, the maps and the planets, locations and stuff like that. When you are like incorporating a planet or location into your stories, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how do you decide between just using one that already exists or creating a new one or... If you create a new one, like, do you just be like, well, there's already a lot of cold ones, so let's go with a, you know, a forested one or something? I like to, uh, when I'm doing world building, not just for Star Wars, but, you know, for my own works, um, people reflect where they come from. 
and a culture develops largely from its environment. And um, to be able to merge the two uh, well is something that, that I enjoy, enjoy doing. It's why I enjoy researching different cultures so much and um, you know trying to, to bring that reality to them. So it would depend on what I would want to see the people being like. And I was like, if we have a people who are, uh, you know, very, very uh, emotional and connected with each other in a very nurturing thing, what kind of an environment would have spawned that so that survival trait was, was, was enhanced? Why did these people value this? If uh, I had a culture that was very uh, martial and uh, there were lots of uh, duels to the death for dominance, what kind of an environment gave birth to that? So I would try to integrate the two as much as possible. This is what you do when you're going to, it's going to be a major part of the book. If you're going to be using just the planet as a backdrop, as I did in, basically in Scoundrels, what you do is you, you look at the star chart, you find a, a planet in the location you're looking for, you go onto Wikipedia. <laughs> okay, this one, three pages, never mind this one, six pages, never mind this one, three lines, I'll take it. <laughs> Because otherwise, you're going to step on somebody's toes. You find something that hasn't been used. Again, if it's going to be a major part and the culture and the environment is going to be a major part, you do what Christy said. Otherwise, you find something that's not been used and you, you, you stick a flag in it. You mentioned the opening scene of New Hope being very impactful with Darth Vader. And as authors, you both appreciate good hooks. If you could write an opening scene for the new movie, what would you like to see in just an opening scene? In a previous panel, someone mentioned the Millennium Falcon exploding, but... <laughs> what I would like to see, and I would... Okay, this, of course, this has... Bear in mind, I know nothing about it. This is not any way connected, but this is how I would open the, the movie. I would have a group of X-Wings or small... New Republic ships, I would have a Star Destroyer come out of hyperspace behind them. I would have somebody coming in ahead of the, the uh, uh, New Republic group. I would have the Star, the star Destroyer uh, them open fire on the Republic. I would have the Star Destroyer blow them out of the sky. I would have the uh, the guys in the New Republic ship say, thanks for the assist, uh, you came in just in time, but I'm sorry, thanks, we've got this one okay, and show that the war is over. But have it, this looks like trouble, yeah, but not for our guys, because we're at peace at this point. But that would be just the way I would do it. I would take the, the standard, what we had in A New Hope, and just flip it over, and no, it's not what you thought it was. The destroyer was here to assist and you know, have a reason why everybody's there. But um, take what we had, what we've seen, we know is going to happen, and no, you don't know what's going to happen. We've changed it. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll go see that movie. That's great. Anybody have J.J. Abrams' number? You know, let him know I'm available. Text, text, text him. I do, I do parties, too. Yeah, that, no, that, that's brilliant. I, I, I am such a character-based person. I, I would want to open with something small, and uh, uh, intimate with um, a small group of people, and then having something happen, and then we find out that this small group of peaceful people are Jedi. 
just set up, you know, we don't know who they are, they're starting this, and all of a sudden out come the lightsabers, you know, that iconic weapon. Let's we blend are, the two and we'll, write we'll the see. movie. <laughs> oh, and one of the people in the uh, New Republic group would be Jaina. <laughs> we are going to be giving away a few books here, so stick around. But thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Do you guys have any any projects that you're working on right now that you want to tell us about? Not doesn't have to be Go Star ahead, Wars. I've got a um, the show. the only thing right now that's that's in the works that I can talk about is uh, the Ventress Boss book, and um, I am excited about it. I really am uh, digging into the characters, and I think this is going to be a very strong character-driven book, and um, character-driven books make me happy. So. No, I um, have. Uh, I have <laughs> uh, oh gosh, I do have something coming up this year. I have, I have three things coming out this year. It's been a busy year. Um, I have a new Assassin's Creed book. Um, for those of you who are familiar with my Blackbeard's Journal, it's another one of those from Inside Editions, those coffee table books that have lots of um, pull-out things and, you know, wonderful, wonderful art. And um, it is basically the Abstergo Employee Handbook. I have the new collaboration with David Weber, the Manticore Ascendant book that has just come out, and it may not be available in stores for another month, but uh, I'm going to grab a few copies of my, 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 uh, of my own and, and sell them either at tomorrow and at future conventions. Um, also doing a, we're doing a Kickstarter for a techno thriller that I've written some years ago and, and finally uh, getting around to, to uh, marketing called Cloak. Uh, modern day, the uh, short elevator pitch is uh, a tactical nuclear weapon has been stolen from an Indian research facility. Meanwhile, in California, the three scientists who have invented the world's first invisibility cloak have been murdered and their samples have been stolen, and nobody knows the two incidents are connected. So we have uh, some bookmarks here. Uh, it, tells where the uh, Kickstarter is. You can go and read the prologue and first two chapters, get a feel for what the story is going to be about. And um, if you're interested, uh, check it out. And um, where can they find you on social media if they want to follow you guys? Uh, Facebook.com slash Timothy Zahn. Um, I'm also on Facebook as Christy Golden. Uh, you can Twitter tweet me at uh, Christy Golden, all one word, capital C, capital G. And I have a blog at WordPress. I do not do Twitter because I can't say anything in less than 140 <laughs> characters. Well, that was the Tropes and Star Wars panel. So we hope everybody enjoyed that and enjoyed the discussion that we had with Timothy, Timothy Zahn and Christy Golden. Um, as always, we just want to give you guys the places that you can find us. You can find us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Star Wars Bookworms. Um, and actually, I want to let everybody know that right now in our book club over on Goodreads, we are reading A New Dawn for September. And something really cool has happened. Aaron, do you want to tell them? Yes, and we should mention this. Uh, we should mention this in our next episode as well, at the beginning. But uh, book club, new dawn, and we actually have John Jackson Miller has joined the book club, um, and he is actually in there talking to people right now. So uh, we've had uh, different comments in the in the forums in Goodreads, and he's replying to people. 
he's putting out you know posts. I think he's going to even put out some different subjects for us to talk about. So Delray Books has actually hooked up with us, and they're really supporting us on the 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 book club this month. So that's really really cool to see. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I think this discussion is going to go really, really well um, because the New Dawn is really taking us into um, Star Wars Rebels, and it is the first book in the new canon and all that kind of stuff or new timeline. And the way that the book club breakdown to read it is sort of designed is to for you to finish right when um, the Rebels spark of a rebellion movie premieres. So this would be a really great time to get into um, Star Wars book reading fandom and I just want to say that this book isn't bogged down by all the like technical you know mumbo jumbo that sometimes happens in Star Wars books where you just have to know all the different ships and you have to know all of this technical stuff it's not like that this book is really good for you know new Star Wars fans to come in and get an idea of what this new Star Wars universe is going to be about but um, just to give kind of an idea um, John Jackson Miller has commented on the way he structured the chapters he's commented on having the foreword by Dave Filoni in there he's also commented on the new book trailer that Vanessa Marshall did with Jimmy Mack from Rebel Force Radio so he is in there commenting and hopefully he gives us some good questions of things that he wants to hear fans discuss so that's goodreads.com and then just search for the group um, Star Wars Bookworms. You can email us. It's starwarsbookworms at gmail.com and we welcome emails and I challenge our listeners to send us emails so that we have emails to read on our next show. Let's see. Twitter is at SWBookworms. Please go and follow us. We like followers. Um, see what else? Oh yeah, iTunes. Five star reviews on iTunes. We need reviews on iTunes so that you can help us become one of the go-to podcast for Star Wars books. And also it just helps other people that are looking for Star Wars books podcast to actually find us. Uh, so the more reviews we get, the more visibility we get to other fans. Right. Um, so you can find Aaron on Twitter. He's at AVGone. And Teresa is at IceColdPenguin on Twitter and Instagram. And keep on reading. And may the Force be with you.